As ancient wisdom teaches, people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. That's because a lack of knowledge leads to a lack of perspective or put away, it leads to a lack of vision. And once again, as ancient wisdom teaches, where there is no vision, the people perish. This unfortunately is the dark path many incumbent financial brands are on right now. And many believe that technology is the magic pill, it's the cure that's going to save all of them. But that couldn't be the further thing from the truth. The good news is a commitment to ongoing training, to ongoing education, provides a clear path forward to help people see things from a different perspective. And when people see things from a different perspective, they begin to think differently about the future, about future growth opportunities. But how do you create a space? How do you create time to see and think differently when you feel like you're already so busy and stuck doing just simply trying to survive and keep your head above water? Well, let's find out together on today's episode of the Banking on Digital Growth Podcast. Greetings and hello, I'm James Robert Lay, and I'd like to welcome you to another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Digital Growth Journey series, and joining me for today's conversation is Natalie Vandervet. Natalie is the Member Outreach and Engagement Manager at Salau Credit Union, and she recently just wrapped up learning alongside with the rest of her team in the Digital Growth University. And today, we're going to explore how an ongoing commitment to education provides a path for to create exponential growth opportunities as an individual, as a team, even as an organization. Welcome to the show, Natalie. It is good to share time with you today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Before we get into how ongoing training and education provides further growth opportunities, just, you know, for, for people as an individual, for a team, for an organization, even just your own personal experience here, what has been going well for you? What's good in your life right now, personally or professionally? Um, you know, professionally, I'm having a lot of fun really uh, dipping my toes into more projects at work. And instead of taking an operational stance in them, really taking a consultative approach. And so coming up with great ideas, deciding maybe a direction that we want to head or thinking about some things that might go wrong. And, and not necessarily signing up for every task to complete the project. And so I'm having a lot of fun consulting on a lot of different things that are moving forward in our organization right now. It's the thinking, it's the thinking that is providing that direction, that guidance. And it's interesting that you led with that because I know that you recently posted on LinkedIn that it's been seven years since you had, and, and I'm gonna use your words, an extraordinary opportunity to lead your very first training workshop on member experience. And you said that this, this workshop, I'm gonna quote you, quote, marked a turning point for me, igniting a deeper passion for creating exceptional member experiences. It pushed me to become a, a better communicator, a more empathetic leader, and a proactive problem solver, which is why it's kind of just interesting that you're leading with this idea of strategy and consulting. I, I wanna come back to this post though, of uh, where you're reflecting on the past seven years in this workshop as a turning point. Why was that a turning point for you and just your own journey of growth? I've always been obsessed with the member experience, even working in the mall. I've always tried to find a purpose in what I do. Um, I worked at, at Claire's and Icing Piercing Ears, and I remember being obsessed with the idea that I was helping young women, especially at Icing, buy costume jewelry that didn't look cheap so they could feel like working professionals and feel confident at work. And I loved helping put an outfit together so that 
um, people with a smaller budget can go out and feel good. So I've always had a purpose, even, even working at, at icing. When I started working in, in banking, I did a lot of, you know, I did telling, I did service manager, but I always was directly in sales and I controlled my member experience with my member. And what I realized when I started training others is that I could create 10 of me, maybe they're each a little different, but I have 10 times the power and I can create a little army of people that are going to go out there and provide exceptional life-changing member experiences for people in the financial world without me having to have every conversation because I can only go so far. And so that was really where it turned for me was where I saw the light bulb moment of I can train other people to do this and I can make a bigger impact if I'm not trying to be the one in the driver's seat every time. That's such a great point. It's this idea of exponential um, and creating an exponential value. But you said something that's key, whether it's at icing or Claire's or working within financial services, you touched on this point around purpose. And purpose is something that I've written about in Banking on Digital Growth. I'm also writing to that in Banking on Change. Uh, Audrey and I just recently discussed a, a book that was written back in 2002 called The uh, New Agreements for the Workplace. And purpose was also brought up in that conversation. Why is purpose so important on a journey of growth, whether that be personally or professionally? What role does purpose play for, for us as individuals, teams, or organizations? I think a lot of it, it does a little bit have to do with, I hate to say it, but I'm a millennial and millennials, they aren't trying to necessarily work in the same place for 20 years and then, you know, retire with a pension. They want, they really, and I, I say me as one of them really want a reason to be there. There's gotta be something I'm doing. There's gotta be something driving me and it can't just be to, to come home and get my paycheck. And so that purpose for me is my, my reason for doing what I'm doing. I want to feel like I'm doing good. And if I feel like I'm doing good, then I'm going to be more engaged in my work and I'll go further in my career if I'm engaged. And so purpose for me just gives me a, well, a purpose, a drive to, to keep going to work every day and be excited to go to work and make it feel like a career and not just a nine to five. That's such a good point. Um, it's more than just a quote unquote J-O-B, but I'm glad you brought up the perspective too, that you're a millennial. I'm a, I'm an ex-sennial. I've mm -hmm. kind of bridged that gap between Gen X and, and Gen Y or the millennials. And then behind us, we obviously have Gen Z, uh, which is, you know, very characteristic as well about this idea of, of purpose. And so when I look at what, you know, the opportunities are in financial services, it comes back to a getting really clear of what our purpose is as an individual and then B, helping to facilitate that throughout the organization and does our personal purpose align with that of the organization? And if so, we've, we do have an exponential growth opportunity there to where we perceive we're growing personally and professionally at the same exact time. And that's why I wanna come back to this, this workshop. Um, you, know, you, you mentioned member experience um, yeah. and you're thinking about this even you know, at your time in the mall. How is the idea of member experience, customer experience, however you want to frame that, transformed most for you, just particularly over the past seven years since you facilitated this training session uh, in, in, in your own organization? I think when I was trying to do the member experience, I'd always try to make it perfect from start to finish. And I, I really can't recall where I learned about it, but I kind of learned about the idea of if something goes wrong, you actually are going to create a, a, a more loyal member 
because you have a chance to fix something that went wrong. And so instead of, of having this idea of perfection from start to finish, um, every conversation being perfect and pleasant, uh, getting on getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and having a more difficult conversation, maybe prodding in a place where people don't want to talk about it or fixing a problem and facing it head on. If they're ever okay with us, they're not going to be the type of person that's going to talk to their friends about us. But if they have a crisis or if I poke just enough in a place that's a little uncomfortable that they've been avoiding, and then I take that to the next level, or I really take ownership over their issue and I fix it quickly, efficiently, and I explain what I'm doing while I'm doing it so it doesn't happen again, they're going to be a promoter. They're going to go out and be loyal for the rest of their life, more so than anybody that never had a problem. And I really learned that by letting go and letting other people take the reins because they're going to create issues. And then I guide them on how to fix those issues. And that's where you really create that, that loyalty with your membership. That's a great point is to let go to grow um, and, and where the idea of not just education or, or quote unquote training comes in, but also coaching and empowering other people's on their own journeys of growth internally. I want to come back to the point though that you made around uh, you can transform a negative into a positive and why progress is far better than perfection. I think a lot of us are, are striving for perfection to the point to where we sometimes we might not even try something new because we're afraid that we're going to fail and mess up. What would your recommendation be for others who could be stuck in a cave of complacency because they're just fearful to go out and maybe it's fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of failure. What would your recommendation be to help them come out of that cave of complacency with courage, with confidence, and, and really try something new on, on their journey of growth? It's hard because I'm such a change maker and I love change. So when we talk about the 10% of people or the 5% of people that say, okay, let's do it. That's me. I'm going to jump in immediately and I'm going to be a champion of change. But I recall and I can empathize with the way other people feel when it comes to change. I think the biggest thing is, is not to strive for that perfection. You don't have to have a solid plan. It's okay to be a flexible and adaptable and maybe just take a small step in one direction and try it out and be okay with reviewing those steps that you made, adjusting and redoing, adjusting and redoing. It's not always about having a plan ready to go from start to finish. If we try to do that with technology now, we're never gonna update our website. We're never gonna update you know, use, utilizing AI for predictive text so we can write the perfect complaint response. We're never going to get there because we're looking for the perfect program. Instead, just try these little steps one at a time and be okay with not having a plan in the end. You don't have to know what your two to five year vision is every second. You're not the CEO. And right. if you are, even then be okay with a couple of money steps. Well, and I think that's where this idea of the 90-day growth methodology comes in. You have a vision, you have some clarity into where you're going, but it, you know, to have every step mapped out along the way, that's also an opportunity to not th to think, well, how are we going to do this, but who do we need to collaborate with? Who do we need to learn from that could provide us with that path forward? I think, you know, historically within financial services, and I think of one specific leader particularly who I know just loves a good plan. Um, and then whenever COVID happened, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men, they really did go awry, uh, to quote Hemingway on that. So when, when you look at, at that idea of the plan, letting go to grow once again, but also being a lifelong learner, 
Um, you know, you mentioned you, you're one who, when it comes to the five to 10% of people who are all about all in on change, not everyone is that way. You're very empathetic to that fact, just as, as I am. I know you and your team, y'all just wrapped up the digital growth university, uh, where y'all were learning core banking on digital growth principles and methodologies. And, and as I've always said, sometimes you're the teacher, other times you're the student, but either way that there, there's always something to learn through the experience. What, what have What's been the experience for you? What's been the big insights that you've learned from your time in the Digital Growth University with your team? I think uh, one of the, it was earlier on, but we were learning about, you know, storytelling and it really comes back to purpose. When people are uncomfortable with technology, I think at the very beginning, I was thinking, oh, if the company is not on the same page, if the organization, if the, if our senior team or our CEO is not on the same page, but I think the biggest risk is not having your frontline staff on the same page. They're afraid of automation. There's fear of being replaced. And what I've learned through this class is that they're not being replaced, they're being augmented. They're being, um, they're getting the resources they need to do their job well, to quote Gallup. Um, but they're, they're getting the basic building blocks of what they need, and then we're building on that. And so what I've tried to do with my team is prepare them for a lot of the changes that are about to happen, because I'm ready to go on the changes. But what I've learned on these classes is that I need to get everybody on the same page so they don't get in the cave of complacency. And in order to do that, I've used storytelling, I've used purpose to try and bring them in and also just, you know, talk and get the chance to do what you do best every day at work. Is what you do best filling out a spreadsheet? No. So let's look into technologies that are going to help you automate these spreadsheets and help you take all that data and put it together for us and read out a report with some thoughts and feelings about what those what those data points could mean without you having to sit there and do it yourself. So you can spend your entire day selling, talking to people about saving money, changing their life. I know their HELOC conversations are one of their favorite conversations of all time when they can sit there and talk to someone about saving $1,000 a month. They don't have time to do that if they're filling out a spreadsheet. So it's really just about getting them to the point where they realize that Technology is going to augment, not replace. And I think that's a key lesson that anyone can can take away who is watching or listening. Um, there are four distinct steps for human transformation that I've identified. And a lot of times when we think about whether it be historically, quote unquote, digital transformation or now the the soup du jour, the word du jour is AI. Um, it's all the same thing. It's technology. And when you think about digital transformation and I think that's going to be the same is going to be true with AI is 60 to 85% of these initiatives are going to either fail or fail to meet expectation, not because it's bad technology, but because of the people that are having to implement this. Uh, there's a lack of awareness. There's a lack of clarity. There's fear, if you will. And so the first step in human transformation is to help people see things from a different point of view and look at it just very objectively. And when you see different, you're going to think different. And as I've asked leaders many times before, well, what happens next when you see and think different, what are you going to do? And they're like, well, I'm going to act different. I'm going to be different. I'm like, are you? And they're like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, how many times do you know that you know that you need to do something right now, but you're not? And like, oh, I've never really thought about that before. I said, so to bridge the gap between thought and action comes down to feeling and emotion. And then the feeling, the emotion, the desire to now act, do to be different is greater than the desire to remain the same. When you think about your thinking and, and learning through this experience, not just yourself as an individual, but also as more of a, as a, as a collective, as a cohort, what did you learn from others 
through this experience together because you were learning by yourself and you're doing some reflective thinking and writing. But then once a month we'd come together and have a conversation and get to go into different groups who might not normally have get to have this type of a conversation. Where did your thinking maybe transform because of the thinking or the perspective of others through cross pollination of ideas? Well, certainly one of the biggest ones is that we have more technology than we realize. Mm. I think I, we grew quite quickly for many years and we were privileged to do that. And our credit union is still very, very strong and I'm really proud to work here, but we also grew at a pace where we had a lot of great ideas and um, the resources we needed to make those ideas happen without having some kind of system to say, well, where else could this be used in a really thoughtful way? Or maybe instead of getting this um, marketing tool that's number one to the marketing team, maybe we take a look at maybe something that would help also the business services team and our retail team and our back office. And maybe it's number two to the marketing team, but it also helps all of these teams. As an example, and we have plenty of technologies we've adopted in retail that we didn't consult with, you know, another department. And certainly we have project managers that help with that. And that's gotten a lot stronger over the last couple of years. Um, but prior to that, we would adopt some technologies without really talking to each other. Mm. And that would create these silos and also just lack of awareness of the other technologies that are out there. So when we start to look at a program, we go, oh, we already have something like that. Well, we could have already been tracking this part of your sales automatically. And we have a program that can do that in this other department. What? Right. <laughs> so it's really just been about communication with each other and then kind of bringing it back to center. We grew quickly and now let's bring it back to center and how can we adapt the technologies we already have. And then when we're looking at future technologies, I think one of my biggest changes in myself was not solving for now, but I'm like picking a technology that's going to grow with us. Um, that's here for the long haul. That's not just a flash in the pan and that's going to suit our future needs too, not just our immediate needs. And so um, working with other teams, it's all been about embracing what we already have. And then when we look elsewhere, talking to each other. It's bringing the future, if you will, into the present moment based upon not just gaining awareness, but also maybe more importantly, alignment as well because back to your point where there's a lack of alignment there's also a lack of clarity where there's a lack of clarity there's confusion where there's confusion if we're in that constant state then there's conflict and chaos i know that you know the digital growth university it's it's not just an investment of dollars but even more so it's the investment of, of time time for yourself time for your team you, you mentioned this even that when you're growing quickly it's almost like you get stuck in the doing this creates a forcing function to break free from doing just for a bit to perhaps do some review and reflection to obviously learn to then think about how you can do even better. I'm curious though, because your group, your organization, there's definitely, I could see early a growth mindset there, but that's not always the case at other organizations uh, when it comes to things like learning and, and thinking. Uh, what is it that might hold either individuals or teams, perhaps even organizations back from making a commitment to ongoing learning? I mean, you've done a lot of education to yourself internally, uh, but what is it that holds people back from making a commitment to ongoing learning, which obviously the result is ongoing growth. 
a reactive mindset. If you're constantly reacting to what's happening and needing to fix what you're dealing with, you're not going to have time to be proactive and learn about something else. I think the hardest thing to do, especially if you're working, you know, in a high, high volume place, like a branch and every day in and day out, you have a line out the door and you're trying to help that line. How, how in the world do you schedule one of your people off for a full day training to, to further their skills and help members even more and make the wait worth their while? How do you take them off the floor for that time to go do that training? How do you stop things that are already in motion to take time off? And you have to realize that you're only ever going to be reactive. You just keep reacting, reacting, you're not fixing some of the other problems. And so the simplest way I can put it is that that branch mindset of, yes, you take that teller or banker off the line. Maybe you lose a whole day. Maybe you're short staffed that day. But I promise you the months following that things are going to go smoother because you have somebody who's fully trained and mm -hmm. who is excited and is learning and testing new skills. And so if you take that further, you're taking people in our positions where we have a lot to do every day. But yeah, you're going to be a little behind because you're taking time off to, to learn something, but it's going to be better in the long run. It's almost like it, we could look at this through the lens of financial services. You're, you're making a deposit, an investment in the present moment that it doesn't feel like you're going to get anything right then and there. Just like when you make an investment into a CD or an IRA or any type of, you know, investment account, you're not going to get anything back immediately, but we know the time value of money. It's almost like there's a time value of education that will yield dividends within the weeks, months, and even the years to come. Because you do focus on education around member service, around member experience, where do you see you might be able to take what you've learned and integrate it into your own training? It's almost like what you shared with me, you're training people, teaching people, educating people to multiply yourself and what you know, and now you'll be able to do that with the perspective that you've gained through this experience here. What might be one thing that you can take going forward and apply to continue to optimize and make the member experience even that much better throughout the credit union? You know, I'm not certain if this directly relates to what you're saying, but I did have the thought pop into my head and I've mentioned it before in our classes. Automating some of my training or creating a replicable training program. And so it doesn't have to be even me who's doing the training. That's recently something that I've really handed the reins off to, to a couple of supervisors and seniors of having them lead some of the different trainings that we have in our, in our credit union and creating, you know, coursework manually to have them do that is a lot of work. But again, looking at the future, if there's technology I can embrace or even just creating videos, video content and video bites, this could be stuff for internal or even for our members, but finding ways to make the training process something I can hand off to the next person, even if training isn't something that they're great at and they're still learning, but still have it be effective training. And of course I could do that by sitting down and handwriting a, a lesson plan. But what I've learned is that my time is quite valuable and I can get a lot done if I can automate as much as possible. And so finding ways to to do that is probably my biggest takeaway going forward when it comes to training. Do you mind if we co-create on this here? Because I think you just said something and, and that's why I, I really appreciate these podcasts because it's always challenging my assumptions. It's challenging my thinking and I'm, I'm learning just as much as someone who is watching or listening is learning. And when you talk about this idea of curriculum development, 
perhaps going into something like chat GPT and having a dialogue with chat GPT and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of fear about chat GPT and I'm like, listen, just play with, okay. So you're, so here's like you, it's prompting. It's like, you know, you are a trainer or an educator at a community financial institution. So you have to prompt it, give it the perspective and the context. Um, I want to develop a curriculum around improving the member experience with these particular criteria. This is the purpose of our organization and really get the more clarity that you can provide to the large language model, the better the output is. And I think that's where a lot of people get frustrated with, you know, large language models or chat GPT, whatever the the AI is. It's because they're not providing enough clarity. It's like, we got to think about this like almost, a, and, and it just sounds kind of odd, but another quote unquote human being, even though it's not, because if we don't provide clarity to a human being, they're going to be left with confusion. The same is true here, but then that's a shortcut. And then from there, it's a matter of just capturing it, i.e. with video, but thinking about the, the I'm going to make up a word here, the, the replicability of it so that it's almost like you do it once, but then it creates value over an extended period of time. So this is a interesting thing that I'm probably have to give a little more thinking. I use it all the time. I love it. It, The danger, and I think that people have with it is that they take it, they use it as a, um, ask Jeeves. (laughs) I've just dated myself quite a bit, but they use it as an ask Jeeves. They copy and paste and then they, they their output isn't great. The response isn't great. People can tell it's a computer written thing. They, they, they're done. But if you use it as a tool that you can build into, and then whatever your output is, that's where the human comes in. I'm not going to take whatever my output is and just copy and paste it. I'm going to, that's where my expertise comes in. My human experience comes in. I'm going to craft whatever output I got. And then at that point, I'm utilizing the technology to build something better. I appreciate the ask Jeeves that, that, (laughs) that's, that's really good. And you're right though. It's, we, we have to take the output and then provide the additional human oversight, the the editorial perspective. I think about, so my son, um, he was running for class president and then now he's running for National Junior Honor Society president and he had to do a speech and I said, okay, and he's starting to, to and I think it's about you just train the mindset so he he knew exactly what we we're going to do from past experiences. We we're going to go into Chat GPT and we we're going to start prompting it. And it's you know I'm trying to just teach him how to just think prompts first. He's in eighth mm-hmm. grade because I think if you develop the skill set now, it's much easier. Because as we were talking before we hit record, I, I asked when you were born and you were late '80s. I was early '80s, so we're still coming from a similar context of time, but. That perspective, you know, growing up in the 80s, growing up with the internet, being around in 1994 when it launched is going to directly influence how we're thinking today versus someone like my son who's in a completely different mindset to now he's thinking, okay, well, I can go to chat GPT and we prompted it to write literally a a speech around his campaign, so his purpose, if you will, and then the output was, it was good, it was a good start, Exactly. But but we took that and honestly took about maybe 20% of what the output was, but it was enough to get us going instead of just having to stare at a blank piece of paper. And where are we going to begin with that, right? So a lot of teachers, you know, there's a lot of talk right now in education about what are we going to do about chat GPT and cheating and all the different things that they have to look at it and say, like, 
is this ChatGPT or is this just somebody who has great grammar? Um, did they use this phrase because they used ChatGPT as a tool or did they copy and paste the whole thing? And instead of being afraid of them using ChatGPT, it'd be really great if they started teaching it just like you did with your son and say, okay, I want you to write an essay and now I want you to edit that essay. And it, we could be doing the same thing in the financial world, but there's just nothing happening yet with that. No. If there were classes that could teach you how to use ChatGPT, it would be amazing. And, and tools out there later that can help. I'm, a quick example of that, I'm helping a member who's upset because they were making a payment and they didn't realize we don't front load the interest and they still had interest due. And that's frustrating because they think, oh, they're charging me extra interest, but I need to explain to them the difference between daily interest and front-loaded interest and how a not-for-profit institution is actually in their favor. Mm -hmm. I could sit there and write a whole essay on that. I worry about being condescending, not having enough clarity. I pop that into ChatGPT and say, explain simple interest in three sentences. And I have now something I can pop into my email that explains it clearly. And then all the human around that is me empathizing. Yes. It's going to happen next, but I use that tool to build it. That's such a practical example. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up education because, you know, going out and working with other teams, other organizations, other senior leadership, executive, even boards of directors. One of the things that I'm asking right now, and I, I really, f I'm identifying these patterns because if I think back to the work that I was doing in the early 2000s, which was still kind of the dawn of the internet, um, we were discussing like, well, you know, have you ever used instant messaging? Have you ever, have you ever been in a, a chat room, uh, for example? And a lot of the times the, the answers were no. And then you go from the early 2000s to, you know, 2008, 9, 10, 11, 12. Then the, well, have you ever used social media? Um, yeah. what, what, do you know what that, exp no, I've never done that. Okay, well go try that. And, and then it was like, you know, 2014, 2015, 16. Have you ever opened up an account or applied for a loan at a FinTech or a Neobank? Well, no, no, I haven't. Well, go try that and tell me what that experience is like. And then here we are again and the, with this whole chat GPT large language model. And it's almost like history is just repeating itself. And I'm asking the question, have you ever just played with it? And I would say 70 to 80% have not. And I think that is the scary thing because that's limiting the future growth potential. But what's driving a lot of that is the narrative, if you will, in the quote unquote mass media. Uh, because when I ask the executive team, well, what's your perspective on chat GPT? It is literally what you just said. They're hearing that, oh, well, this is what students are going to use to cheat on their test. And I'm like, no, um, this is just the next kind of like the iteration of a calculator. This is just a tool. I was just about to say that it's, it's just like statistics. You can have, when you take a statistics test, you get a whole page of cheat sheets because it's all formulas that you have to know how to read. Yeah. It's, it's an open book test, but you still have to know how to use the book. Right. So the chat GPT is in no way cheating because it's a tool that you have to know how to use. Yes. Well, I, I did have an executive at a workshop tell me once though, you know, well, that's a bad analogy because they said that, well, I, I don't have anyone who works here and he was high up executive. I don't have anyone who works here who knows how to calculate simple interest. And I kind of popped back and I was like, dude, I don't even know how to do that. And I've been in the industry for 20 some odd years. If I need to calculate something, what am I going to do? I'm going to go Google it and just put it into Google and let the calc, like, I don't need to think about that because the, the tool is there. It's like, give me a, what's it, a good analogy? Give me a shovel or give me a backhoe and tell me to go dig a hole in the ground. 
Well, if you want to use a shovel, that's fine. I'm going to go take the backhoe and be done in about five minutes and you'll still be digging that hole. And so I don't know what it is that holds people back from wanting to learn. It really, this is like, this is kind of my existential crisis right now because yeah. I'm very passionate about just education. Um, always have been because I feel like there's a lot of Socratic knowledge that is you know, two, 3,000 years old that stood the test of time. You've got Socratic discussions. You've got Socr Socrates defining his wisdom as I know I know nothing. And now it's like we have truly the, 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 the knowledge of the entire, you know, human race at our fingertips and they can have somewhat of a conversation even through a GPT model. But, but that gets us the question and I just don't have the answer. They're, wait, they're waiting. They're waiting for a vendor who says, we can do all of this for you, who's using the same technology, mm -hmm. but they're waiting for it to be put in this pretty little package. You know, we're going to have so many programs out there soon that are going to help us do things like automating member experience response letters. That's going to be a thing. We're going to have click and drag member education tools. We're going to have, you know, we already do it with chat bots. That's a package chat GPT right there. Yeah. So it's already, they're just waiting for the, the technology to be packaged in a way that's, I guess, more digestible, mm. but it's already, we have the raw code. We can go right to the site and use it. That's a good point. We have the raw code. Um, Harvard Business Journal just released an article. They didn't release one. That sounds so bad. They just <laughs> published an article in, because I get the physical magazine um, and I have a collection of them, but just published an article on basically how we are all programmers now and how you have GUI or graphical user interface uh, and the ability to just drag and drop and build things. Uh, but what that comes back to is almost how we started this entire conversation. It's the ability to think and to think critically and to come back to first principles and putting people at the middle of that, the, the center of that thinking and more, more specifically the purpose of why we're doing what we're doing to begin with in the first place. Because if we lose sight of the people and if we lose sight of the purpose, the kind of what's the point at that point. So my question to you, as we wrap up here, as you look out towards the future, what are you feeling most hopeful about? What are you feeling most excited and energized about when it comes to the future of, of member service and member experience? I am really excited about the, the technology that's out there that we can embrace. I'm also excited because I feel like we're at this turning point right now where we're about to get a lot of really new cool stuff that we can't even imagine. And so I'm really excited to see how those are adapted in the financial industry. I'm also excited because I feel like I'm in a company that's just the right size and the right the right mindset to start embracing some of these early and having a lot of fun with them as they come out and, and try new things. And I'm, because I love change, I'm excited to learn about all these things and see how I can implement them. And I'm also at a point right now in my, my career where I get to be, you know, making some decisions and, and deciding, do we go here or do we go there and which ones do we pick first? And so I'm just really hopeful for all the different things that are going to come out yeah. and also embracing some of the stuff that's already out right now next week i'll be at the max conference in spokane for um, the credit union association and i'm excited to see what the vendors there have right now yes yes and i think that's the thing when you look out at the future with hope with optimism that's what you're going to find um you're, you're gonna you, your perspective of the future right now in the present moment 
will directly influence the decisions, the actions, the thinking that you're doing in the in the present moment, which will then be the path to the future that you go and create. And and so it's this role of of why knowledge, why education, why mindset is so critically important. One final question to send those who are watching or listening off on their own journeys of growth with just something small that they can do to move forward, to make progress when it comes to just, we'll just call it, uh, and it's one of our four principles for exponential growth here. It's to commit to be a lifelong learner. What would be the one thing that you would recommend someone watching or listening to, to do just that? Well, it's a tough one, although I kind of feel like after our conversation, I might say, try chat GPT, go in there and play around with it. I just, I think it's such a fun tool. Just go in there and ask it for a, a homemade face mask recipe or say, you know, I'm trying to make cookies and I don't have butter and just see what it says and just learn how it can learn you and have fun with it. It doesn't have to be used as a career tool. It's just a really fun tool. And I think the more you get to know it, the less you'll be afraid of it. Yeah. And, and that's going to open it up to a lot of other possibilities of how that can be used. The more you get to really know good it. First step. Yeah. The more you get to know it, the less you're going to be afraid of it. And that's where, you know, it, it could be fun and it, it doesn't have to be personal or professional. It could be personal. I think about, uh, when, when, right when it came out, uh, Corey and Cassie LeBlanc, we were texting back and forth with them and it was cocktail recipes. And it was just like, just, learning new ways to think about how we can change and do even better going forward into the future. Natalie, this has been such a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for someone just to reach out say hello to you, connect with you based upon the discussion we've started here today? I'm on LinkedIn and I'd love to meet new people. Like I said, I'll be at Max in Spokane next week. Um, and, um, yeah, I think LinkedIn's probably the best way to reach me. Connect with Natalie, learn with Natalie, grow with Natalie. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. This has been truly a lot of fun today. Thank you. Thank you. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and be the light.